our world is broken. We see the brokenness every day in so many ways. We see the brokenness through terrible natural disasters. We see this brokenness through evil and injustice. We see this brokenness through civil unrest. We see this brokenness through wars and rumors of wars. We see this brokenness through poverty. We see this brokenness through droughts and famines and plagues. Uh, We just see the brokenness of the world around us every single day uh, in so many different ways. And it's just a, a constant reminder something is wrong with our world. Now, skeptics will use all of the things that are broken and wrong with the world as a way to say that there is no God. After all, why would a good God allow such awful things to happen? Natural disasters, droughts, famine, disease, war, injustice, and all of those other things were not a part of God's original design for creation. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, when God looked upon his world that he had just created, it tells us that he said it was very good. And yet as we look around, it's clear things are not very good in our world today. How could a creation God called very good be in the shape that it's in today? Well, the answer, of course, is sin. When Adam and Eve sinned and sin entered the world, it really broke kind of everything. Everything in all of creation, not just our relationship with God, but but everything in all of creation was broken by sin. When sin entered the world, it brought with it natural disasters, drought, famine, disease, war, injustice, and every other bad thing we see and experience in the world today. All of creation has been affected by sin. Now, part of what this means is nothing in the world is exactly as it should be. Nothing in the world is exactly the way God intends for it to be. Now, while creation, broken as it is, still declares the glory of God through its beauty and complexity. It is still marred by sin, and so it does so imperfectly. There is much beauty, there's much to admire in God's creation, but all of it is broken. None of it is the way it should be. Now this leaves creation, according to Romans 8, groaning under the weight of sin, groaning for the day of redemption. But it has been subject to futility and it groans for that final day of redemption when Jesus will return and restore everything, all that's been broken through sin. Well, what will this restored world look like? What will it look like when everything that's broken has been fixed? Well, that's what Isaiah 35 talks about. If you haven't already opened your Bible to Isaiah 35, should be page 534 in a pew Bible. And when you find it, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> Isaiah 35 says, The wilderness and the desert will rejoice, and the desert will shout for joy and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely and rejoice with joy and jubilation. The the glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. Strengthen the exhausted and make the feeble strong. Say to those with an anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The retribution of God will come. But he will save you. 
Then the eyes of those who are blind will be opened. The ears of those who are deaf will be unstopped. Then those who limp will leap like deer. And the tongue of those who cannot speak will shout for joy. For waters will burst forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. And scorched land will become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. And the haunt of jackals, its resting place, becomes grass, reeds, and rushes. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for the one who walks in that way, and fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor any vicious animal go on it. They will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. And the redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with joyful shouting, with everlasting joy, will be on their heads. They will obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sign will flee away. The title of the message tonight is Hope for Those Living in a Broken World. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. Father, we love you because you have first loved us. Lord, we rejoice tonight to know you have loved us with an everlasting love and you have called us to yourself in loving kindness. Father, your love has been demonstrated for us through Jesus on the cross. And Lord, you have loved us when we have loved you back. You have loved us when we have rebelled against you. You have loved us no matter what we have done. And Lord, we are really and truly amazed at the great love that you have poured out upon us through Jesus Christ and through the many great blessings you have given us. In our lives. Father, we know that everything that you have given us and everything that we have is a, just an act of your mercy toward us. And we are thankful for the great mercy that you have toward us, the great love that you have shown us. Father, at times <clears throat> living in this world, our hearts, as your word talks about creation, does it groans for the day of redemption. We look at the brokenness of the world and we see the the way it hurts the people we love and the people we care for. We see the destruction it brings into people's lives and our hearts ache and our eyes leak. And we feel the weight of all of those things upon us. And Lord, tonight, I, as we look at this passage about what is to come, let your word give us hope. Let your word give us hope <clears throat> about the world that's to come. Let your word give us hope about what Jesus will accomplish on the day he returns. Let this strengthen us. Let this encourage us. Let this strengthen us and send us out into a dark and a dying world to live boldly for Jesus. To live with hope. Because someday our Savior is coming. and He will set things aright. Fill me tonight with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Let me speak your words and your ways for your glory. Have your way, Father, in our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Look at verse 3 and 4. These are the the key verses that, that really speak to my heart as we get into this. Strengthen the exhausted and make the feeble strong. Say to the anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The retribution of God will come, but he will save you. Now, look especially at verse 3. Strengthen the exhausted and make the feeble strong. It, it, it pictures someone who is discouraged 
and defeated. The word my Bible, the New American Standard, calls exhausted. It literally means those with slack hands. And it pictures people who are, their hands are hanging down. They are so exhausted. They are so overwhelmed that, that their hands are just hanging down and they're wanting to give up because of how beat down they are in the world. And the word, and where it says, and make the feeble strong. The word, and again, in the New American Standard translates as feeble, literally means those who have trembling knees. It pictures people whose legs are, are trembling and nearly buckling under weakness. Now, do you get the picture of who he's talking to in this passage? Right? Someone who is essentially beat down. Life and world has, has beat them down. Their, their hands are hanging down. Their knees are trembling. They don't know if they can even go on another step. They are just on the verge of, of collapse and being overwhelmed at everything going on in the world around them. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel this description deep in my bones. I know what it is to be weary. I know what it is to be exhausted and to feel feeble. I know what it is to, to just be overwhelmed by a constant deluge of bad news. Overwhelmed by the, the constant spiritual battles that never seem to end. Just, just weary of what is going on in the world around us. Or, as Isaiah says, exhausted and feeble with an anxious heart. And who does have deep fears about what's going on. I get it. I get what he's describing here. And chances are you do too. Chances are we all go through periods where we feel this way. So if we understand this, if we feel this way, verse 4 has a message for us. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The retribution of God will come, but He will save you. Isaiah tells us there is a message for those who are exhausted, those who are feeble, and those who have anxious hearts. The message is to take courage because our God will come. And the idea of with vengeance and retribution it is, it is a complete picture of, of fixing what has gone wrong. It is a picture of judging sin and wickedness and restoring what has been broken. And he will come to save his people. The message from Isaiah here is for us to take courage and fear not because our God will come and he will save us and he will fix everything that is broken in the world. The message is meant to be a hope, to be an encouragement, to keep on keeping on, to not give up despite the fact that we're weary from living in a broken world. It's a message of hope. It's a message of encouragement. It's a message of hope for those particularly who are living in a broken world and are weary because of the brokenness of the world around them. And ultimately, the, the hope, as we know it as New Testament disciples of Jesus, the hope for those living in a broken world is Jesus is coming. And He will restore 
what was broken by the fall. This is our hope. First Peter tells us to set our hope fully on the grace to be revealed at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Titus, it's called our blessed hope. We are to take courage, to take hope, because Jesus is coming. And He will restore what was broken by the fall. As I said, all of creation is now broken because of sin. This is the reason for the natural disasters, the earthquakes, the tornadoes, the droughts, the famines, the disease. It's also the cause of of riots and murder and violence and injustice and sexual immorality and every other evil thing in this world. But there is a day coming when God is going to remake the earth and then the world will then be free of all of the brokenness caused by sin. It's the day spoken of in in Revelation 21. This is a day when all of the promises of God will be fully and finally fulfilled. Right now we're living in an in-between time. Right? We're in between Genesis and we're in between Revelation. Right? Our salvation has been purchased on the cross. The kingdom of God has, has broken into the world and it has started to come. But it has not yet been fulfilled. The completion has not happened as described in Revelation 21. So we live in a time when heaven and the final fulfillment of all things is something we're hoping for, something we're waiting for, something we're even longing for. Because in the day described in Revelation 21, in the day described in Isaiah 35, there will be no trials. There will be no hardships. There will be no sorrow, no pain, no sickness, no disease, no death. None of that. All of those days will be done away with forever. And it will be a perfect place, been recreated, been fixed by our Lord Jesus Christ. But what will this kind of perfect place be like? Well, this is what Isaiah 35 is all about. The new earth described in Isaiah 35 is what the world to come will be like. What, what John saw in Revelation 21 is what God has promised here in Isaiah 35. They are an Old and a New Testament picture of the same day and the same time. So we know what the world we live in is like. It's broken. But what will a restored world Look like Well, first, there will be perfect peace. Now, this isn't mentioned in Isaiah explicitly. I think it's hinted at in verse nine. There will be no lion nor any vicious animal go upon it. They will not be found there. I think that hints at the idea of perfect peace, but it's not as explicitly described here as it is in, in other places. But one of the, the ways we see the brokenness of our world today is through war and violence we often see uh, around us. Wars and rumors of wars are always in the news. But take wars and rumors of wars away, and the news is still filled with violence. The news tells us about one evil action of violence upon somebody after another, after another, after another. There, there is simply no peace in our wicked world. And the reality is there never will be. 
Right? It, it doesn't matter what laws are enacted or what mankind can do. The wars and rumors of wars will continue. The violence in the streets and in homes and things like that will continue because our world is broken and our world cannot bring peace. But in the world to come, there will be peace. Micah prophesies and tells us that, that God will judge between many peoples and render decisions for the mighty and distant nations. Then they will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they train for war. Instead, each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree with no one to make them afraid because the mouth of the Lord, the mouth of the Lord of armies has spoken. This is a picture of the day to come, this world that Jesus is going to restore. And it talks about taking weapons of wars and turning them into farm implements. The world to come, there will be such peace that no one will, will ever need any sort of weapon of war ever again. There will not be a need for a weapon of war. No one will ever train for war again. Now, I believe with this that this is not limited to war, but precludes weapons of any sort, right? Weapons of protection. There will not need to be anything like that. There won't be anything in this new world that would make us afraid. So just as there won't be a need for anti-tank weapons and tanks, there won't be a need for personal firearms for protection. Our world is a world of violence and danger. So much so it is hard for us to imagine peace that it's described here. But one day, Jesus will come and he will bring about this kind of peace. In the world to come, in this life, there will be trials, there will be tribulations, there will be wars, there will be pain, there will be violence, there will be sorrow. None of these things will exist in the world to come. It will be a place of perfect peace. Now, in this life, to be sure, there are times of peace. There are times of refreshing. But those times won't last forever. Because this world is broken. And that brokenness assures that the times of peace will never last forever. Instead, what the times of peace are, they are, they are sweet mercies from our Lord Jesus Christ. Intended to, to remind us this world is not our home. Intended to, to whet our appetite for the world to come. Intended to say, I, I long for the day when Jesus will come and restore this broken world to the way God Intended for it to be. Jesus is coming. And he will restore what was broken by the fall. And this gives hope to those of us who live in a broken world. There will be perfect peace, but there will also be perfect provision. Approximately 3.1 million children die from undernutrition or malnutrition every year. According to worldhunger.org, about 815 million of the 7.6 billion people in the world, or about 10%, are 
are suffering from chronic malnutrition. Now, most of these people live in places where there is no water. And no water means there are no crops and no wildlife. No crops and no wildlife means there is no food. And so the people who live in these areas thirst and starve to death. Many of them, the, the numbers of young of people who, who die from easily preventable diseases is, is also significant. Drought, famine, and starvation will always exist in this world. They will not exist in the world to come. Look at verse 1 and verse 2. The wilderness and the desert will rejoice. The desert will shout for joy and blossom. Blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely and rejoice with joy and jubilation. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. The picture in these verses is a total transformation of the earth. The waste places will be restored. The the desert lands will be radically transformed by the power of God. The once desert places, the once barren lands will produce beautiful blossoms and beautiful plants and, and, and produce will be in an abundance. Such abundance that the people will sing it and rejoice with joy and jubilation. All of this now abundance in in these desert places will declare the glory of God to the ends of the earth. And basically what this pictures and what this describes is a desert land becoming like the Garden of Eden. Being restored to the way it was supposed to be. Look at the last of verse 6. In verse 7, for the waters will burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The scorched land will become a pool in the thirsty ground. Springs of water in the haunt of jackals, its resting place. Grass becomes reeds and rushes. Desert lands will bubble with pools of water. Land that is now thirsty for water will have rivers running in it. Vegetation will grow everywhere in a once barren land. Now this idea of of the world being restored to such a place that desert lands become fruitful lands is is consistent throughout God's Word. Amos 9 and 3, for example, talks about a time to come when the crops will grow faster than they can be harvested. It talks about a time where there will be the land will be so fruitful, it's as though wine literally flows down the mountain streams. The overall picture in these verses and others like it, is of great prosperity and the end of poverty and famine and droughts. Now again, in this world, in this life, there will be poverty, there will be famines, and there will be droughts. And all of the sorrows that go along with those kinds of things. However, in the world to come, there will be perfect provision. Such perfect provision, poverty, famine, droughts, and all of the sorrows associated with them will be forever banished. They will be done away with, never to touch the world or any person ever again. Jesus is coming, and He will restore what was broken by the fall. This gives hope to those who live in a broken world. That there will be perfect peace, there will be perfect provision, and there will be perfect physical health. Again, one of the characteristics of this world is sickness 
and death. We have all experienced the pain associated with death. We have all known people who have suffered under the weight of some sort of a chronic disease. And and even if by chance we have escaped knowing someone who suffered under the, the weight of a chronic disease, we have all experienced just the, the breaking down of the body that happens as we age. The older we get, the things that we used to could do, we can't do anymore. Our knees ache. Our minds can't think as clearly. We, we aren't as strong as we once were. We can't go as far as we used to be. All of this is a part of living in a broken world. Uh, but it's not the way it will always be. Look at verse 5. The eyes of those who are blind will be open. The ears of those who are deaf will be unstopped. Those who limp will leap like a deer. And the tongue of those who cannot speak will shout for joy. In this life, there will be sickness, there will be disease, there will be death. In this life, we will age and our bodies will slowly fall apart And stop working well until they stop working altogether. And it doesn't matter what you believe. And it doesn't matter how strongly you believe it. These things will be present in this life. It's important to understand. As in in our culture, so often we are taught, if you have enough faith, if you just believe the right things... You'll always be healthy. People will always get healed. And that's simply not the case. If you or someone you love gets sick and God chooses not to heal them in this life, that does not mean you don't have enough faith, your family didn't have enough faith, or there was some secret sin in your life. It simply means we live in a broken world. Where sin has brought sickness, disease, and death into our lives. These things will always be present and they always will be in this life. However, these things will not be present in the world to come. God told Isaiah the blind eyes would see, the deaf ears would hear the lame legs would be allowed to leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will shout for joy. Listen, if you have ever had a loved one who suffered under the weight of a chronic disease and they experience things like this, there is deep hope in the broken world to know that what exists here, what hinders them here, what limits them here will not be true in the world to come. In this world, there God can heal all of those things. He does occasionally heal all of those things, but there's no guarantee He will. But in the world to come, it is certain the blind eyes will see, the deaf ears will hear, The lame legs will leap like deer and the mute will shout for joy. There is a guarantee that sickness and disease and death will be no more there. There is a a guarantee 
that the bodies broken down by age will be repaired there and we will have a new glorified body that will not be sick, will not break down, will not have the issues that we face and feel in this life. Jesus is coming and he will restore what was broken by the fall. And this gives hope to those of us who live in a broken world. There will be perfect peace. There will be perfect provision. There will be perfect physical health. There will be perfect holiness. Sin is also a part of the world now. But it will not be a part of the world to come. Look at verse 8. A highway will be there. A roadway. And it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for the one who walks that way. And fools will not wander on it. Verse 9, no lion will be there, nor any vicious animal go upon it. They will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. In the world to come, there is a highway of holiness, and only the redeemed of the Lord will walk in it. This is a, a powerful point to get. One of the hard truths about heaven, about the world to come, is that the only people who get to go there are those who have been redeemed by the the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the characteristics of those who have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ is a a life of holiness. And, And God's Word teaches us That those who do not live a holy life, they have not been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And as such, they will not be here on this day. Now this idea of the the unclean, as it says here, the unclean will not travel on it and only the redeemed. It's not just found in Isaiah. It's found really all throughout, but one of the places that I find most interesting to find an idea like this is in Revelation 21. If you've ever read Revelation 21, you know it's this great picture of heaven. And and it's really encouraging and it's really beautiful. But right in in the middle of this passage, talking about the glories of God and God wiping away every tear and streets of gold and the Lamb is the light and all of that is this verse. But for the cowardly, the unbelieving and abominable and murderers and sexually immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and and all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And, And again, this passage, it seems so out of place in Revelation 21. There's all of this beauty, all of this glory, all of this hope But right in the midst is they won't be there. You have to wonder. I wonder why in the midst of such a hopeful passage, God had John write down something so stark and strong and clear about who would not get to walk the streets of gold, who would not be on the highway of holiness. And all I can conclude It's because God in His infinite wisdom knew a day like ours would come when people, and the majority of people, wrongly assumed they were just good enough to go to heaven. That they would just wrongly assume that the default eternity for all people is heaven. 
But if you do really bad things, then you miss out on that. But the hard fact of the matter is not everyone will be in heaven. And he gives some things. Let me just take a, a minute to explain these because these are actually really very strong words that, that John writes down in the inspiration of God. He, he says, first, the cowardly won't be in heaven. The cowardly are those who fear man more than they fear God. Now, the fear of man is a snare, Proverbs tells us, because it, it keeps us from doing the will of God. And that's a problem because the cowardly won't be in heaven. The unbelieving won't be in heaven. Those who do not believe on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for their salvation. But when you look at the totality of God's Word, it's not just those who say, no, I don't believe in Jesus. Right? Titus 1 and 16 warns us about people who profess God with their lips but deny Him with their lives. And it tells us there is a judgment to come waiting on them. Right? So it is, it is those who say, I don't believe in God. But it would also be those who would say, yes, I believe in God, but then live like they don't know God. Those are the people Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, said, I would tell them on that day, depart from me. I do not know you. I never did. The unbelieving will not be in heaven. The abominable. Those are those uh, abominable are those who are more like the world. They are like. Jesus, right? The the goal of salvation isn't just to to save our eternal destiny, right? It it doesn't just save us so that we're on earth, but now we're going to heaven. It it transforms our lives to make us ever more like Jesus. God has predestined us to be like His Son. This is the goal of what God is working to do. So for those who are more like the world than they are like Jesus... Their desires are more for sin and the things of the world than they are for the things of God. Their lives are more characterized by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They are by love and devotion to Jesus. They are the abominable. And they will not be in heaven. They will not walk the highway of holiness. Murderers, those who kill and take the lives of others. If we take the words of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount into account, it would be those who are filled with anger, Those who are filled with hate and those who treat others contemptuously and who despise others. Strong words. Murderers will not be in heaven. The sexually immoral. Those who reject God's standards for sexuality and embrace the world. And again, this is huge for us to get. Our world tells us and it tells our children that God's standard for sexuality is outdated and it should be rejected. However, those who embrace this mindset... Are not part of the kingdom of God. They are not the redeemed who walk the highway of holiness. They will not be here on this day. Sorcerers. One of my commentaries explained that sorcery was those who engage in astrology, witchcraft, devil worship, spiritism, seances, palm reading, fortune telling, and all other forms of false beliefs that claim to reveal and control one's fate, one's life, and one's destiny. Those who take part in sorcery will not be part of the world to come. Idolaters, those who make and worship idols. This would include man-made idols, as well as those conceived in one's mind. So this means, again, as we, we talk about often, that when, when Aaron made the golden cow, 
He did not say, Behold the cow God. He said, Behold, O Israel, your God which brought you of the land of Egypt. He made an idol, and he said, This is what God is like. So those who reject God's revelation of himself, it's found in his word, and, and then they shape God to their liking, they're idolatrous, and they have no part in the world to come. And then liars. Those who are not truthful, they speak lies and they live lies. They have no part in the world to come. We're told specifically, rather than have a part in the world to come, they have a part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Part of the idea here in in verse 8, Revelation 21.8, is that those who are redeemed by Jesus... They live holy lives. Or in the wording of Isaiah, they they walk on the highway of holiness in this life. Now, God's word is is clear about this. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 8, that blessed are the pure in heart. For why? They shall see the Lord. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews 12 and 14 says we must pursue holiness. Because without it, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Salvation by grace does not free us to live immoral lives. And those who believe it does are not redeemed, not according to God's word. Those who are redeemed pursue a life of holiness. Or they are, they strive to walk on the highway of holiness. They're not perfect, but they're trying and they're consistent. They they strive to live holy now because they want to experience the perfect holiness then. Jesus is coming and he will restore what was broken by the fall. This gives hope to those who live in a broken world. And then finally, there will be perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect provision, perfect physical health, perfect holiness, and lastly, perfect joy. In this world, we for sure experience joy, a measure of joy. But our our joy is always mingled with something less. God's word says we're sorrowful, but always rejoicing. The joy we have in this life is real and should in some ways always be present in our lives. However, there are very real times. Despite the joy we have in the Lord, there is deep and abiding sorrow. These are hard times we all must face. It could be the death of a loved one, loss of a job, poor decisions of a loved one, or any number of other issues. But they just bring sorrow into our lives despite the joy we have in our connection and our salvation from Jesus. However, in the world to come, we will have the fullness of joy with no sorrow mingled with it. Look look at verse 10. And the redeemed of the Lord will return. Come to Zion. With joyful shouting, everlasting joy will be on their heads and they will obtain joy and gladness. That the joy 
described here is is so full and so complete, sorrow and sighing will will flee away. Now, the picture of sorrow and sighing flee away is that we are just so filled with the joy of the Lord that they, they just have nothing in us, nothing for us, and they run away from our joy because it's ruining their bad mood. They, they just flee away because God's joy in us is so complete. And we, we don't have that in this life, do we? We have joy, we have gladness, but we also have sorrow and we have sighing. And if we're really honest, there are, there are times where the sorrow and sighing is, is so great, so severe, that it seems like gladness and joy flees away. But in the kingdom of God in this day, there will be a great reversal. And the sorrow and the sighing will flee away. The joyful shouting will be abundant. The everlasting joy will be on our heads. We will have nothing but gladness and joy. There will be no weeping sorrow, not even a, a hint of sighing. At sadness, we will finally experience the fullness, the joy of the Lord. Jesus is coming. And he will restore what was broken by the fall. And this gives hope to us who live in a broken world. This world is not our home. And we are not meant to find our ultimate peace, our ultimate joy, our ultimate satisfaction, and our ultimate purpose in the things of this life. Peter will tell us this world is not our home. We are pilgrims and strangers here. The old hymn says, this world is not my home. I'm just a traveling through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Here, Sure, we are meant to enjoy the world and the things God gives us. But they're meant, those good things we experience in this life are not to take hold of us and guide us and lead us. They are meant to stir our affections and our desires for Jesus. Every time we experience something good in this life, instead of it saying this world is so wonderful, I just love it. We're supposed to say how great the world to come will be. This world has far too great a grip on most of our lives. If we were just to be brutally, ruthlessly honest. Most of us do not live like strangers and pilgrims here. We live like this world is our home. And that must change. We must let the good things of this life actually break us free from the love of this life and cause us to long for the life to come should cause us to long for the return of Jesus so that He will will repair, He will restore what was broken by the fall. Our our longing for His return, our, our certainty about His return and our knowledge of what He'll do when He returns is meant to give us hope as we live in a broken world.
Because when, when we experience something bad, rather than it defeating us, rather than it destroying us, we say, that's just life here. But that's not the life to come. One day Jesus is going to fix all of this. When the test result is bad and it doesn't get better, we say, Jesus is going to come and He is going to fix all of this. When there is discouragement and suffering, we say, Jesus is going to come and He's going to fix all of this. And in those times when we are exhausted and feeble and with anxious hearts and we're afraid, we come back to the fact Jesus is coming and He will restore what was broken and we take courage. We don't let fear conquer us. And we pray as John prayed at the end of Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, you are great and awesome, worthy of our praise and devotion. We are thankful this world is not our home. Lord, there are many, so many, gosh, so many wonderful things you have given us in this life. So many wonderful things you have done for us in this life. But none of them compare to what is waiting for us in the world to come. The Apostle Paul said that the, the glory to come is so great that the sufferings of this life don't even compare. Father, shift our view from earth to heaven. Shift our view from here to then. Shift our view so that we live like strangers and pilgrims in this land. Guide us, Father, when we're feeble and exhausted to take courage, to not fear. Let us know our, our God is coming. And when He comes, He's going to restore all that was broken in the fall and let that give us hope as we live in this broken world today. Have Your way in our hearts. Have Your way in our lives. Let us live for You as we should. We ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.